I have uh, one sister who's a couple years older than I am, and when she and her husband had their first child, he was the first nephew in our family. Sally and I were anxious to be able to spend some time with them. So on one trip, we went to Michigan to visit them and spend some time with Tim, who was a toddler at that point. And we, uh, we took Tim to a neighborhood park that had some nice playground equipment for little kids, and we were kind of enjoying the day as a family. Tim wanted to try the slide, so I showed him how you climb up the steps in the back and then slide down. I said, I'll be right here at the bottom to catch you when you come down. I don't know what happened, but somehow I got distracted, maybe talking to my sister or something. Tim made his way up the slide, came down, plop. Oh, Tim, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, listen, you're okay. Try it again. Go around, climb up the steps, and I'll be here right at the bottom, and I'll catch you when you come down. You probably know where this story is going, right? Sure enough, the same thing happened. I don't remember how I got distracted, but Tim came down with nobody there to catch him. I have the feeling that what Tim probably experienced with me that day is the way a lot of us feel about our relationship with God. We're just not sure we can trust him. Is God going to be paying attention? Does God care about me? Is he going to be faithful to his promises? As you know, this summer we're looking at God in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Last month we looked at who Jesus is, God the Son. This month we're looking at God the Father, who is God the Father. And Jesus says that one of the things that we ought to do is to call God our Father. In fact, remember when he taught us how to pray, his disciples said, teach us to pray. And he said, pray, saying, our Father who art in heaven, or our Heavenly Father. So I thought it might be a helpful thing for us today to just take a minute to think about this concept of the Trinity. Because it's hard to understand, but it's so important. One of the things that made Israel unique among all the nations of the world was that they believed that God had revealed himself to be one, one God. Not just the most powerful God, not just the God who cared about them, but the only God. And in fact, I would say that maybe the second most important verse in the Bible, maybe second only to something like John 3.16, would be Deuteronomy 6.4 in the Old Testament. In fact, it was so important it even had a name. It was called the Shema, which means hear or listen. Listen to what it says. This is Deuteronomy 6.4.5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now that is, that is so foundational to who we are as Christians. We believe that there is one God, not one among many, but one only God, the only God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So we, we believe in that. We base our faith on that. So when Jesus comes on the scene, we believe that Jesus was God, right? So that means this God who is one God became a human being, Jesus, and lived among us. But then some sort of uh, strange things begin to happen. For instance, when Jesus begins his public ministry as, as a rabbi, as a teacher, he's baptized by John the baptizer in the Jordan River. And let me read you what it, how it describes that. This is from Matthew 3. 
It says, so as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Whoa, let's stop right there for a minute. The Spirit of God coming down like a dove and lighting him. Who is this Spirit of God? We thought God was just one, and now God is Jesus, and now this Spirit of God is coming down upon him. And then he goes on to say, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So this begins to get a little confusing and hard to understand. So we're holding on really tight to this Shema here, O Israel. The Lord our God is one God. But we believe that God is the Son, Jesus. And now this voice from heaven is saying, this is my son. Who is this talking up there? And the Holy Spirit of God coming down in a light upon him at that moment. And we see in that passage and in others in the New Testament as well, that as God reveals himself more and more, he reveals himself as three persons, three parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in a way that maybe you can understand, but I can't, we hold both those truths tightly. God is one, but God is three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the word that theologians use to describe this nature of God as being three persons is trinity. And the word trinity isn't used in the Bible, but the descriptions of God's existing in that way, that exists a lot. So what we're doing this summer and what we're doing today, especially now, is focusing on that part of the Trinity that we call God the Father, that Jesus told us we ought to address as God our Father. And we'll notice in the New Testament when you're reading it that those terms God and Father are kind of used interchangeably. And I notice when I'm talking about it and thinking about it, I kind of use them interchangeably as well. So we're thinking about God today, and I want to go back to my story about Tim coming down the slide and my not being very trustworthy, because I think one of the struggles that we often have as Christians is really, really trusting God. And so what I want us to think about and focus on today is the trustworthiness of God our Father. The Bible just goes to extreme lengths to let us know you can trust your Heavenly Father. For some of us who had um, good fathers, maybe that concept of thinking about God the Father is helpful to you. You think about your own father and the good qualities that your dad had, and you kind of move those up to the God is kind of like that. For some of us, maybe we had no father at all or we had terrible fathers, and so it's almost a distraction to think about God that way. But we need to move beyond that and say God is the perfect father, and as the perfect father, he is trustworthy. There's never going to be a time when you come down the slide and God is not there to, touch, to catch you. There's never going to be a time when God does not prove himself faithful to you. I, I want us to look at a few passages of Scripture where the, the images of our trustworthy heavenly father are so beautiful. And we're going to begin with Psalm 139. Um, this whole psalm is just this beautiful picture of our Father and His attentive relationship to us. Now, I'm just going to read us four or five of these verses. This is Psalm 139, and it says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You discern my going out and my lying down. 
You're familiar with all my ways. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. This is a picture of a, of a father caring for his child. And he knows him completely. Your heavenly father knows you completely. He knows the words you're going to say before they are even on your tongue. He knows the things that you delight in and the things that you fear. God desires to direct your life. And how does he do that? I can remember one of my memories of myself with my father is standing in front of my father as a, as a young boy and my, and my dad putting his hands on my shoulders and we'd be standing talking to somebody or something. I loved the feel of that, God's hand on me. The psalmist says, you know, that's what your heavenly father does for you. He puts his hand upon you. It says he hymns you in behind and before. He puts, surrounds you with his arms. He directs your path. God is this loving, protective, perfect father. Let's look at another psalm. This is from Psalm 121. He says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going now and forevermore. What a great God. There's never going to be a time when God is not focused on you. God is never off taking a nap. I, I can remember as uh, growing up when my dad sometimes would come home from work and he'd lie down on the couch and he would take a little nap. And I thought that would probably never happen to me. So please don't call between 1 and 2 o'clock in the, in the afternoon. This God, our Heavenly Father, neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always alert. He's always there. He's always focused on you. Let's look at one more passage. This is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40. And he says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Now, a couple of really important things in there. This everlasting God, this creator of the ends of the earth, he never grows tired or weary. Sally and I had a great week. Our son and his wife and his three daughters from Michigan came to visit. And it, we hadn't seen them in like a year and a half. And it was great to be able to spend time with them. It was exhausting. It was exhausting. The older, the older granddaughter, who is 15, is kind of out of this stage, but the two younger ones, it's all the time, Grandpa, let's play this or let's play that. And so we play and play and play and play. I grew weary. God, it says, God, our Heavenly Father, never grows weary. He never grows weary. He never gets tired of doing things for you. He is always at work for your good. So, God doesn't get distracted. God is in control of the universe. God has created billions of people who live on planet Earth, and yet the Bible says his focus is on you in, a, in an individual, pur purposeful way that might be hard for us to understand. Sometimes it seems to me that we have trouble trusting God because it feels like what God is doing doesn't really make sense. 
One of the favorite verses of many people in the Bible is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It bears on our topic today. Let's look at it. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, it says, and do not lean on your own understanding. And so one of the problems I think we have in trusting God is that God warns us that His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You know, as the heavens are high above the earth, so are His thoughts above ours. And so we're not going to understand always what God is doing, right? It's, um, it's a little bit like trying to, to explain something for, to a child, you know? You, they're too young to understand, and so you end up just saying, well, just trust me, you know? Don't. You can't do that, right? Just trust me, even though you don't understand. I, I decided this year I'm, I'm reading through the Bible, something I hadn't done in a long time. And reading in these first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, so much of it is composed of the regulations and commands and rules that God laid down for the Israelites. And he did those for their good, for their benefit, to keep them safe and well. It was not for God's benefit. It was for theirs. And, and there are things that God says that he could have explained to them if they'd had microscopes and if they understood about germs and if their science had developed like ours, God could have gone into the technical things involved. But they wouldn't have understood that 3,500 years ago. And God is saying, in a sense, um, well, I can't, I can't explain to you why, but just don't do this and don't do that and don't do that and do this. And it's not for God's benefit. Those rules are not for God's benefit. They're for the, for the good of his people. And he can't sort of explain it to them on their level. How true is that still for us today? How true is that for your life as well? This God of creation. I mean, you think about the distance between a small child and the parent, his earthly father, you know, trying to explain why he shouldn't do something. How much greater is the gulf between the, the eternal God who knows everything and us? We just need to accept the fact that there are going to be some times when God is working in ways that we, it just doesn't make sense to us. We don't understand. And yet, God is using that for our good. God is wanting to direct our path. Um, I, I notice on Facebook and other sites online that there are often videos of animals who've gotten trapped somehow, caught, and some rescuer comes to try to free them and to save them, to pull them out of that, that terrible spot. And what's the, the reaction of the animal? They're terrified. They're terrified and they fight against it. Let's take a look at this one. This is just a, kind of a good example. Here's a deer caught in this fence. And he's fighting against the people who are trying to save him, to cut him loose, to give him freedom again. And they have to hold him down, cut off the, the wire that's you know, entangled him. Eventually it's done. And he takes off. You know, when, I, when I see a video like that, I think of you and I think of me. I think there are so many times when God sees in this big picture how we're being caught our freedoms are going away, and, and God is trying, working to direct our path. Remember, that's what Psalm 
I mean, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 said, you know, trust in the Lord. Don't lead on your own understanding. He'll direct your path. God's trying to direct our path, but to us it seems dangerous and scary and not loving at all. No, God says. He's a totally trustworthy father, and we can rely upon him. So sometimes when things happen that seem bad or hard to us, it makes us want to stop trusting God. If God really loved me, he wouldn't have let this happen. If God really cared about my life at all, if God was involved in my life, this would not have happened. But the Bible, in helping us to understand the trustworthiness of God, reminds us of this truth that's found later on in that same chapter of Proverbs. So this is Proverbs 3. We're going on to verses 11 and 12. So he's just said, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't, don't get confused by your own understanding. He's trying to direct your path. And then in verse, verses 11 and 12, he says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. What a beautiful picture of, of a godly father that is, right? What do we think of a parent who never disciplines her child? They're not doing a good job of parenting, are they? Children need to be disciplined and need to be taught. Would we think it's any different with God, our Heavenly Father? And so the Bible says in all of these beautiful images, your Heavenly Father is totally, absolutely, completely dependable and trustworthy. So I want to make some suggestions to you about maybe some things that we could do to, to grow in our trust of this God, our Heavenly Father. And the first thing is, I think we need to tell the stories of God's faithfulness and God's trustworthiness. Um, you know, we're going to be celebrating communion in a, in a few minutes, and that grows out of the Old Testament Passover, the Jewish holiday. And one of the things that was built into the Passover was telling stories about God's faithfulness. So a part of what they would do during this Passover meal, the child would ask the questions about why are we doing this? Why do we eat this? Why is there no leaven? And that would be the occasion for the parent to respond by telling stories of God's trustworthiness. That ought to become a part of our lives as well. Now, you look back on your life. I, I would guess every one of us can think of times when in a in a miraculous, unexpected, totally beautiful way, our Heavenly Father proved His trustworthiness to us. You need to tell that story. You need to tell it to yourself to remind yourself of it. You need to pass it on to your children as well. Again, let me, let me read you some verses. We're going to go back to this Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. So it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then he goes on to say, so these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. We need to remind ourselves and we need to pass on to our children and to others the faithfulness, the trustworthiness of God. Let me give you an example. This is one of my favorite stories. It involve, actually involves Sally's father. 
a story of his experience that he passed on to us, that we have passed on to our children, and I hope will be passed on to our grandchildren as well. When, when Sally's dad was a young man, a single man, he was taking his, his mother, who was elderly and not in real good health, to, to Texas, where she had come from and where she still had some family, taking her there so that they could visit. So this was back, this was in the middle of the summer, very hot day, prior to cars having air conditioning, driving on, you know, there weren't the super highways that there are today, so he's driving on this road, and it's very hot, and he looks over at his mother, and she looks like she's dying. She's panning for, for breath. Her, her color has, has gone pallid. Uh, it's, he's frightened for her. And he prays, God, help me. I'm afraid she's going to die. So they come to, before they had the nice kind of rest areas they do today, some of you remember, it was just a pull-off on the road where there were three things. There was a picnic table and a tree and a trash can. And so he stopped and he got his, got his mother out of the car and he took her over to the picnic table and he laid her down on the picnic table with getting some shade from this tree. And the only other thing there, this trash can. And he looked in the trash can, and there was a bag of ice. There hadn't been a car on that road in miles and miles and miles. It's 95 degrees. There's a bag of ice in the trash can. And he was able to use that to, to bring down his mother's temperature, to care for her while they were able to drive to the next town where she was able to get medical attention. Yeah. So when somebody tells me a story like that, and you know, a lot of you have told me stories like that, it makes it so much easier for me to trust in the faithfulness of God. God is, God is faithful. He wants to direct my life. And so there are times when I know it's hard to trust God. It feels to me like I know better than God does. Like God says, don't get involved in pornography. It's not, it's not going to be good for you. And I think I know better. I know what gives me joy, what gives me pleasure. And I'm not sure I'm willing to trust God with that. God says, do this or don't do that. I don't know. Seems to me like if I, believe, if I trust God, it's going to hit me in a way I don't want to go. And God says, no, the reality is that it may not seem like a big thing to you not to trust me in this, but it's going to head you down the wrong, wrong road. I grew up um, in Hammond, Indiana, right at the south end of, of Lake Michigan. So a lot of railroad traffic went through that area. Just a couple blocks from where I lived, there was a big train switchyard and with a lot of railroad tracks. And so we used to play on the railroad tracks, beats playing in the street, right? So we, so we would you know, try to walk, walk the rail, see how, how far we could do. And then it would come to the place where they would have been able to take a, a railroad car off that track and move it to a different one. And so you'd start um, trying to see if you could walk on both of them. And you could do it at first, but it got harder and harder and harder as they got farther and farther away. And you're jumping back and forth, and that was the, sort of the fun of it. But you get to the point where you're going to have to choose one or the other. And when, when the Father who loves you says, don't do this, part of what he's saying is it's going to take you down a road you don't want to go on. Trust me. Trust that my love for you is so strong that the reason I'm giving you this guidance, the reason I'm setting this rule, the reason I give you this command is because I love you and I want to head you in the direction that's going to be best for your life. 
Secondly, I would say, let's try taking a small step of trusting God. How, how do you trust another person? I mean, you don't just trust them all of a sudden. You, you try a little trust. You trust them with a little bit of your life, and you see if they're trustworthy. I don't think God minds our doing that, taking that step. And in fact, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Take a taste. Try a little bit of trusting God, maybe in a way that you've never done it before. And it doesn't have to be a huge thing. But I think you'll find that once you, once you step out of the boat a little bit in faith and trust in our Father, it's going to be a little easier to take the next bigger step and to trust Him even more. I remember a, a man from our congregation years ago, after we had talked about this, saying that he, his next-door neighbor had, he thought, cheated him years ago, and they had not spoken. They were at odds with each other then for, for decades. And he felt like God was saying he needed to be reconciled with his neighbor. And he just struggled with it. I just, I feel, I don't know if I can trust God that this is the thing I ought to do. So I would encourage you to think, is there some small way that you could just take a step of faith to trust your Heavenly Father and His care and His love for you? And finally, I would say, you know, trust God to know that you're struggling with this. One of the stories in Jesus' life that always moves me deeply takes place when Jesus and three of His disciples, um, Peter, James, and John, had gone up on, onto a mountain by the way, when you read in the, in the New Testament about mountains, don't think Alps. You know, they're just not, they're hills for the most part. They've come down from the mountain where Jesus had been transfigured before them. And there's a man there who's brought his son, and his son is demon-possessed. And that demon possession manifests itself in destructive behavior for the son. In fact, the father says sometimes it's like leprosy and even throws him into the fire. And he's, he tried to get his, Jesus' disciples to heal him. They couldn't to cast out the demon. He begs Jesus to help him. And Jesus says, well, you know, do you believe that I can do this? And the answer that the man gives uh, touches my heart. You know, he says, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because I feel like I say that to God all the time. I, I believe you. I trust you. But that's part of me that struggles with that. A part of me is afraid to trust you. A part of me is working so hard to believe that you're really working for my good always. And so tell God when that's the case. God isn't offended by that. God wants to help you in the struggle. So what a beautiful God we have who is a heavenly father to us. And one of, the, one of the greatest evidences of our Father's love for us and His trustworthiness is in sending His Son, Jesus, for us. And we're going to remember and celebrate that uh, right now. So I'd ask you to pray with me, please. It's an awesome thing to be able to call you uh, Lord God, creator of the universe, to call you our Father. And we want to have that kind of relationship with you, the kind of relationship that we would have with a, with a perfect Father who knows us, who loves us, who directs us, who protects us. And if we ever had any question about your, your love and your trustworthiness, uh, that those questions are answered in Jesus. And so we focus upon him, your gift to us, 
Heavenly Father, amen.